I've got two sets of glasses. I have to see which one works the best. That was his version of the directions. Now, Larry and I have a different version. He says, and I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the Chickamauga Dam 153 exit. And I said, I've been, oh, oh, just come on right past that, one, about one mile, get off on the Hickson. No, excuse me. I mean, <laughs> anyway, get off on the Red Bank Dayton Boulevard exit, and just a little ways you turn here and turn out. Well, we went about, his, his mile was about 10 miles, and it got longer and longer, and there was never a Red Bank Dayton Boulevard exit. And when I get off here, turn right. Don't turn left, turn right. Right, Larry? <laughs> anyway, I was so confused when I got here that I forgot which door to come in. So, anyway, I don't use this, do I? Is this working? Okay, both. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here. And uh, like Rick said, I've known him since he's a kid, a little skinny kid back then. Look at him now. Somebody's been feeding him very well, and uh, he's doing well there. But anyway, his 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 family is like family to me and my wife, and uh, she especially lo- <coughs> loves those girls and 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 Nicole, and uh, they all said that uh, the little one here was Aunt B's favorite. And she denied it. She said, I love all of you, all of you just the same. But I think there's a little f- favoritism there. But, but anyway, um, Rick uh, and his family do go back a long way, and, and I love them all. They're good people. And, and I'll tell you one thing about Rick. You found this out. You won't have to worry about anyone teaching him false doctrine here as long as he's here. And that's one thing that can't be guaranteed in some of the congregations. And I see June... Good to see you, girl. I, I had, didn't see her come in. June Sims is one of the finest ladies I've ever known. I've known her for so many years. And her brother, Doug, is a fine gospel preacher. If you ever have an opportunity for him to come here and speak sometime, he just lived over in Georgia a little ways. But he's a great, and he's, he's in his 80s now, still doing a great job. But he's having some health problems. June, it's good to see you. It's wonderful. Um, Ricky gave me a, a choice of uh, some lessons, and I, I picked this one out, and I don't know, uh, I maybe should have got another one, but I'm going to do what I can. And, and, and he had me some confused. I forgot a lot, a lot of things I was going to say. So I'm going I'm to get a, uh, use a GPS next time, sure enough. Anyway, the, the, tonight I'm going to speak about David, a champion of the faith, an unlikely victor who hit the mark. And uh, David, uh, in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, if you want to turn there, we'll, we'll begin there. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the army of Israel was preparing to do battle with the Philistines. And uh, the Israeli army was on one side of the valley, up on a mountain, and the Philistines were on the other side of the mountain, or valley, up on another mountain. And uh, they were preparing to do battle. And I think for a while there that neither one of them was very interested in fighting, and it doesn't appear they were to begin with. But it was in this situation that this giant of a man makes himself known to Israel. And uh, I don't know how big he was, but the, 
in the King James Bible, it says that he was, uh, if, if, uh, it's according to what, what, how you, what, what a uh, cubit was, but uh, this guy was six cubits in a span, and he was uh, possibly almost ten feet tall. That's a big man. And, and he wasn't just tall. It appears that he was very muscular and strong because of his armor that he carried around with him. And uh, I have trouble with this too. It, it, it says here in the margin that his uh, coat of mail weighed uh, 5,000 shekels of brass. And in the margin it says that's like 160 pounds. And I've read, uh, you know, other people say, well, it wasn't that much. The shekel's not that much. But that's what it says in this margin. 166 pounds. But anyway, his helmet weighed probably maybe 15 pounds. His sword was uh, like... They say it was like 15 pounds, and a normal sword was like two and a half to four and a half pounds. So he was packing all this weight around, and he and, uh, so he had to be pretty big, had to be pretty strong. And not only that, this guy would—he uh, had everything covered just about. I mean, he had he had he had uh, armor on his legs and everywhere. His face was open, and uh, anyway, he would come down and challenge the army of Israel to do battle with him. Uh, he Actually, what he did, he said, you choose someone on your side to come and fight me. And the winner will be served by the loser. And so, instead of us fighting, just send your man, pick your man out, and you send him down here, and we'll see who's the better man. And that's better. So, he challenged them and no one met the challenge. No one. Not even King Saul. Not a man of Israel. They were all afraid of him in verse 17. And uh, he was a very scary looking guy, I'm sure. But anyway, he, he defied the armies of God. And he came and presented himself every day for like 40 days. Day in the morning and in the evening. He'd come out and say, come on, come on, come on. And they would continually turn him down. In chapter 17, verse uh, 16, it says he, he did that for 40 days. And, 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 and then the armies were now fighting finally in the valley of Edom. And uh, the three eldest sons of Jesse, Je- David's elder brothers, had, uh, were, had been fighting with the Israeli army against the Philistines. And so Jesse sends David to his brothers to see how they were doing and take them some food and so on. So when he gets there, uh, he hears about this Goliath fellow. And he sees how everybody's so afraid of him. And uh, every time he come out there, Israel would flee. They would run from him. And so even Saul, he was scared of him. King Saul was good, and I, I read somewhere where he may have been seven feet tall. I don't know. He said he's a big man. He's head and shoulder above the others, but he 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 was possibly a big man also. But David, when he heard this, he saw how that this guy was challenging the, the the army of his of God, and how that no one was responding, and how he was ridiculing them. He was making fun of them. He was defying God really, and mocking him and mocking his people. David says. He's very disturbed about that in chapter 17, verse 26. And so he let it be known that he was not afraid of him, that he would deal with this man himself. 
And uh, in chapter 17, if you want to look at verse 32 through 37, it says in verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art, you're not able to do this. He said, You're not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him, for thou art a youth, and he is a man of war, and you're just a youth. And uh, David said uh, unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And you know, you go on and tell the story about how, you, how that he defended the sheep against the bear and the lion, he, how he slew, slew both of them. So uh, I, I can take care of this fellow. But anyway, as we go along, uh, the subject is David was a champion of the faith. A unlikely person who, victor, who hit the target, who hit the mark. Why was he a champion of the faith? What made David such a champion? Now, the reason is very simple. First of all, David listened to God. He highly respected God's word. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 19, 119, verse 11. He said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my pathway. In chapter, uh, 105, uh, chapter 119, 105. And his word meant something to David. God was special to David. He, and he was really sincere and honest in what he was doing. God loved, uh, David loved God so much. And he respected his word. You know, uh, in uh, Romans 1, 16, uh, Paul says that God's word is powerful. He said that the word of God is, is uh, he said it's, it's, it's what gives us salvation. That's where we found salvation. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Well, David, he accepted that. And not only that, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says that God's word is quick. That's its living. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in looking at in that word, we can, we can decide the, the right and the wrong. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, He has given us all things, He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Am I quoting that with a right one? Let me get there. Yeah, He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness in His Word. And uh, so we cannot know what is right. We cannot know how to live for God if we don't know His Word. David knew his word. He, 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 he meditated on it day and night. He considered it. He, he didn't just read it. He didn't just search it. He, he, he actually meditated on it and said what is right and what is wrong. And he always tried to do the right. Now, he believed God. He didn't just believe that God existed. He believed God. He trusted God. He believed him to the point that he was willing to do whatever he had to do to, to uh, please God. And he did not doubt. We can find from, in this story, we can see that, that David never doubted that God would deliver this giant into his hand. He didn't doubt it at all. He, uh, he said, I will, in 17 verse, and I'm back in 1 Samuel, in 17 verse 32, he said, I will fight the Philistine. 
don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. He, uh, he didn't ridicule the other people for being afraid. Did you notice that? In study, have you ever, you ever seen anything? What David said, these guys are cowards and all this, you know, and, and, and he, 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 did, he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to take care of it. He, he, could have, he could have said, look, Saul, King Saul, these, these people are cowards, and you're a coward, and, and uh, you should be ashamed of yourselves. But he didn't. And, and you know, sometimes we, uh, we want to, when, when people fail to do what they ought to do, when people come short, sometimes we want to uh, go after them and, and ridicule them and so on. But David didn't do that. He was interested in doing what was right. And uh, he, he did not say, Someone should do this. Have you ever heard that said in the church? This needs to be done. Someone needs to do this. Someone needs to go visit so-and-so. Someone needs to go teach someone the gospel. Someone needs to tell them about Christ. Someone needs to clean the church house up. Someone needs to do this. David was not like that. See, we, sometimes we wish things off on somebody else. We should not have to have, have, to have someone to come and say, Look, Joe, you need to do this and you need to do that we need to just take charge say look this needs to be done let's do it someone's in the hospital sick they go visit them someone is hungry then go take them some food if someone needs to be driven somewhere if you have the opportunity take them to the doctor whatever and when you see somebody who is lost which they're all around us say i need to do something about that i need to if i can't go and do a bible study with them i can maybe point them to someone who can I can take them literature. I can invite them to church service. I can do a lot of things that would help to save their souls. And that's the kind of fellow that David was. He believed God. And uh, listen to this. He was very confident. He was confident that he and God could do this. He didn't doubt it. You don't find any doubt whatsoever in here. He, He said, I can do it. And so he acted on his own. And he did, look at uh, chapter 17, please, and uh, let me go back there. Verses 45 and 6. It says, and, uh, Then said David, uh, verses 45 and 46, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, the one you've challenged. I come to you in his name. You bring all this stuff, I don't need that. I've got God with me, and that's all I need. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the, car- give, give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts and the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He wasn't doing this for self-glory. He wasn't doing this to show his strength or anything like that. Everybody thought he couldn't do it. Everybody thought he was too young and, and, and uh, inexperienced and all. Saul said, you can't do it. But he said, I can. God is with me. And so many times today we, we fail to do things and we, we don't do them, we don't try to do them because we don't believe God. We don't believe God. We don't believe them to the point that we're willing to do whatever it takes. And so uh, Paul, the great apostle, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. This man had the same attitude. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's talking about how that he lived his life for God. That he lived it with, in, in all confidence. That he didn't doubt. He believed that he could do what God told him to do. And so in chapter uh, 9 in 1 Corinthians, uh, beginning with verse 24, he said, Know ye not that they which run in a race, they run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run ye, so run that ye may obtain, that, that ye may win. He said, Every man that striveth for the mastery temperate in all things. That's, they've got self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now here it said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul says, I make every blow count. I don't, I'm not playing a game in this religion thing. I'm, 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 going, I'm doing it the right way or I'm not going to do it. He says, I, I run and I fight and I intend to win. And God is with me. And that's the attitude David had. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, he said, I've fought a good fight. I finished my course. And uh, he said, I've got a crown of life waiting for me because I've done it. And, uh, and he was confident that he had that crown of life waiting for him. He knew his, his, his time of his departure was, was at hand. You know, he said that that it's time for me to, to go on. And he said, I, uh, I know I've got it. And uh, we can have that same confidence today, just like David did, just like Paul did. And uh, we got to believe and not doubt God. James said that if you doubt, don't ask God for anything if you, if you ask him in doubt. He said, if you ask him for something, believe that what you ask for, you're going to receive. If you ask according to his will, that is. In James chapter 1, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let, uh, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, that is nothing doubting. No, you, you can't do that and expect to receive anything of the Lord. He says, um, if, uh, for he that wavereth or doubteth is like a wave of the sea, tossed, uh, wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And uh, he said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And so we cannot doubt, we've got to believe that God can deliver what he has promised us. Also, he loved God. He loved God's kingdom. He loved God's people. David was born into the family of God. We, we're baptized in the family of God. When he was born, when, when the, you, you all know this, when, when the person of Israel was born uh, physically, they, they were a member of God's kingdom at that time. And uh, he always put God first and everything. He, 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 he was number one with, with, with David. And uh, he, he knew God would take care of him, just like we can know the same thing today. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he said all these things that he had just mentioned there will be added unto you. you I'll give you food, I'll give you clothing, I'll give you shelter. And I'll take care of you. I, I'll, ta you know, I'll take care of the fowls of the air. I'll take care of the flowers. 
I take care of all those things, and you're much more than they are, and I'm going to take care of you. We have to believe that. And uh, then in, uh, in Matthew 10, verse 28, he goes so far to say, now he was sending the, uh, the uh, disciples out, and he said, look, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to threaten. They're going to do all these things to you. But he said in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. He said, Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You fear God. You respect him. You, and don't worry about what they're going to do to you. And then, David loved the kingdom. He loved God. And he defended the kingdom against its enemies. And he was the most unlikely person to step up and do this job. This, this guy had uh, just been with his father taking care of the sheep. A young boy. He'd never been in a battle. Knew nothing about war. He didn't know anything about using armor or, or swords or anything like that as far as we know. He knew how to use a sling. So he was inexperienced, and this giant was fighting from the time he was a youth. So he was really the man. But you know, some of the most unlikely champions uh, have appeared throughout life, throughout history. You can look back at World War One, and it, I'm not talking about champions of the faith here. I'm talking about champions, people who were end up being heroes, and they were unlikely characters to, to do so. Sergeant Alvin C. York uh, was going into the military as a conscientious objector, and he changed his mind. And you know what happened, most, especially older people, you know that he was one of the most decorated soldiers in World War One, And uh, he killed 25 Germans, I believe it was, by himself and captured 180-something. And he was one of the most unlikely persons to do that. At first, he did not want to kill anybody. He didn't want to fight. He didn't want to go to war. Audie Murphy in World War II was about five feet, five inches tall, something like that. He was uh, from Texas, a, a poor boy from Texas. He tried to get in the military a couple of times and turned down the thing, and he finally got in. And uh, he was one of the most decorated people in World War II. And made a movie about him uh, called To Hell and Back. And uh, he, started, he played the movie himself. And then he went on to uh, play in a lot of Western movies and so on. How many of you have heard of Marshall Keeble? Okay. Marshall Keeble was a little short black man. Did not have much education at all. And uh, this guy was so faithful to God, he believed so strongly in him, and he believed that he could do whatever God told him to do. He baptized thousands of people, thousands of them. He would hold meetings, and, 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 and they'd last for two or three or four weeks, and he, he might baptize uh, 40 or 50 or even 60 people. He had a way of communicating to people, especially his own people, the, the, the African-American people. And uh, it, was so, it was like one time he was debating this denominational guy, and, and they, they, some of the brethren were afraid, well, he, he, he's, he's uneducated enough. He won't be able to do that. 
And uh, the guy starts out talking about uh, Greek and this and that. And, he, and he, of course, he looks at the audience. He says, how many of you speak Greek? How many of you read Greek? Uh, nobody. And uh, anyway, he, uh, after a while, I think he said after an hour or two, the guy quit, didn't show back up for the, for the debates. But this man was a hero of the, of the faith. Mr. Burton, who was uh, the owner of Life and Casualty Insurance Company in Nashville, he was a millionaire. He helped support preachers, and he spent quite a bit on uh, Brother uh, uh, Keeble and his work. And he spent no telling how much of his money on furthering the gospel, spreading the gospel at that time. He was a hero of the faith. A hero of the faith does not have to be someone who is uh, highly educated, someone who is uh, muscular, someone who is a great person, uh, considered to be a great person by others. Sometimes a hero is just simply a, a person like you, like me, ordinary people. That's what David was. He's an ordinary person. God was with him, and he became a hero of the faith. You know, David uh, committed some terrible sins. Some people would have never had anything to do with David again. They would never have trusted him again after they found out what he did. This man saw this beautiful lady bathing. He lusted after her. He sent for her. He committed adultery with her. He tried to cover it up. It didn't work. He tried to get her husband to go sleep with her. He said, no, I'm, I'm, my men are out there fighting, and I'm not going to spend time with my wife when they're not, they're not getting to do the same thing. It's not fair. Well, David thought, well, what can I do with this? Have him put on the front of the, forefront of the battle, make sure he gets killed. David committed murder. He, he, he deceived. He uh, betrayed a good man. He did all these things. One of the differences in David and people, many people in the church, David repented of it. David confessed it. And David was forgiven. And after he did all that, it was like, and God forgave him, it's like it never happened. That's the way it is. It never happened. He, uh, talking about Marshall Keeble, uh, he told a story one time in one of his sermons. He was, uh, I had a, an old 33 album, a couple of them, and had some of his sermons on them. One of them was a doctor who never lost a case, and one of them called the great physician. I don't know what ever happened to them. But anyway, on one of those lessons, he's telling about this guy who used to be mean to his wife. He was a drunk. He would beat her. And she got tired of it. She went to her daddy and, and stayed with him. And So uh, anyway, later on sometime, another this guy, he, this man, her, her, her husband who had beaten her up and who used to be drunk, drunk and all that, and so he comes to visit with her and, her and her father, and her father said, you get out of here. You, you can't come around her. You've been too mean to her. He said, I, I've never been mean to that woman. 
He said, yes, you, you've been mean to her. You beat her. You've done all these things. You've cursed her. You've done all these things to her. He said, I've never done that. They said, yeah, you have to. He said, no. He said, I went down and was baptized into Christ. He said, I'm a new man now. That person's gone. Uh, I put that old man away. That's the way it was, was with David. God forgave him. In Psalms 32 and Psalms 51, he spent a great deal of time and a lot of remorse and uh, asking God to forgive him and, and all that, show, showing how sad he was. Listen, listen now, sometimes <clears throat> it takes someone reminding one of us when we do wrong. Nathan had to tell him. He came to him and told him what he had done. And he repented. You know, Peter, the apostle Peter, you remember about him? You remember what he did? About as bad as what David did, wasn't it? When you get to the point that you curse and swear and deny the Lord, and you do it three times, that's pretty bad, isn't it? But Peter, when the Lord looked at him, he went out and wept bitterly. He repented. And Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. After that. After he had done that. Peter was a disciple. He was an apostle. And he had fallen. I, I, I believe Peter was in a fallen state at that time. When he, done, when he done, did what he did. And Jesus forgave him. He went out and repented. And he wept about it. And, and he was forgiven. And so on Pentecost, he happened to be the keynote speaker. He was the one who told people what to do to get into the church, into the kingdom. So, because we sin, don't mean that we're lost. We're, we're completely done with it, does it? We're told that uh, we walk in light, see us in light. Uh, then we have fellowship with him and all that. And we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And uh, we don't need to give up. David was called the only person in the, uh, in the Bible who's called the man after God's own heart. In First uh, uh, Samuel thirteen verse fourteen, in uh, Acts chapter thirteen verse twenty-two. Now, why was David called the man after God's own heart? God knew David, didn't he? And he knew, where, he knew where David's heart was. He knew what David thought. He knew where, where David's uh, affections were. And they were all with him. They were all with God. Not with, not with uh, the world, not with Satan, but with God. This evening we ask this question. <clears throat> are you, tonight, are you a champion of the faith? You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be a great teacher. You don't have to be a great anything except for a great Christian to be a champion of the faith. Ricky told me about the campaign they had around here. I think he said knocked on about 1,500 doors, and many of you went and did that. That's a great thing you did. That's what champions are made out of. People who get out, they're concerned with the lost, and they, that's, that's the main that's the main uh, work of the church, you know, is to win souls to Christ. 
And the church today is in somewhat of uh, a, a difficult position because we've got so much division within over because of people trying to destroy the church within and without. There are people out there who hate us. They always have. But the, the worst thing is the people inside the church who are trying to destroy it today. The false teachers, the diatrophies, people like diatrophies in Third John who loved to have the preeminence and he was throwing people out of the church and he wouldn't let people come in the church. He's trying to control it. And John said, I'll deal with him when I come. But, but we have people like that. And it takes champions to deal with those folks. You should never, ever let someone come into your church congregation and get by with these things. It's not been too long ago. Uh, Larry, Larry, I don't think Larry was there that morning, but uh, this guy uh, that we had helped support uh, when he was in Bible college. And he came up to speak to us, and he wanted to speak to us about the uh, work they were doing with orphans in Brazil. So he came up, and he, so when he gets up, to the, he's going to preach, you know, do a sermon, so on too. He says, when I go somewhere, I always like to tell something new. I thought, uh-oh, there's nothing new in here. Every, everything that I've spoken of tonight, everything Rick speaks every week, you've heard of before. We've got to be reminded. Well, okay, what was he going to say new? His daddy was a faithful preacher. He preached for years at Jamestown. He says, you know, uh, when people go to heaven, that's just for a temporary time. And then they come, they're going to come back down here on earth and they're going to live on earth forever. And uh, he goes on all this stuff, you know. And So when he gets finished and they do the invitation and everything, and he sits down, I get up and I say... Uh, I appreciate the work you're doing in Brazil with the children and all, the orphans, and that's a good thing. But I want to politely disagree with what you just said in your lesson. This earth is not going to be here for anybody to inhabit. And I read the scripture, quote him, and so on. And he's sitting back there, and his mouth is wide open like that. And he was probably used to going somewhere, and people allowing him to get by with that. There were people in that audience who may have been weak in the faith, or may, and we, have, we probably have people here who were not members of the church, and they, I was going, well, I, well, we should supposed to let them get away, leave there hearing that and believing that, or thinking that's what the Church of Christ taught? No. You've got to stand up for what's right. David was a man after God's own heart. There are people here today, no doubt, who are after God's own heart. Many of you, I'm sure. Maybe not all. Being after God's own heart means that you are faithful and you're serving. You're a servant. And you're not looking to have glory and honor for yourself everything that you do you're doing to glorify him he says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is heaven and that's what it's about 
This giant was a pest. He was a pest. David had, uh, I want you to notice if you read this, David did not, he didn't want Saul offer to give him his armor, he give him his sword and everything. He said, no, nah, I've not proven that. I've not tried it out. Uh, I'll just go down to a stream and get me some rocks. So he got him five smooth rocks. And you know what? There's only one place that was vulnerable probably on that man. And this goes to show you how skilled David was with that sling. He put that rock right where it needed to be. It sunk in his forehead and brought him down. We need giant killers today because we have giants out there. We have people out there who are going after God's kingdom and they're trying everything they can to bring it down. And we need people like you who won't let that happen. It's so important. And uh, we went through this. You remember, uh, of course, most of us weren't around. We weren't around back when it happened. But back many, many years ago, when there was a split in the church, and the Christian church was formed over the instrumental music question and over the missionary society. And church buildings like this were taken away from brethren because the the diatrophies the, the and the false teachers moved in and they convinced people that we need to have something more than what, what, what God has given us. He's allowed us to use. We, we need some instruments and music to make us the singing better, to make it sound better to God and to, to each other. And we need to have a missionary society so we can, the church, all congregation can send the money to this one headquarters and they decide where the mission work is to be done. And so we had the big split. Well, after the split, we knew, everybody knew which side they were on, you know? Here you have the, the, the ones who, who, who uh, are, are, uh, have, have left God, and you have the ones who have stayed with Him. What happens? These people don't grow. The false teachers, they don't grow much. The church grew rapidly once that was settled. But today, one of the problems is we don't know who's on which side a lot of times. Until we get to the point that we know who the false brethren are, and we know who the faithful brethren are, the church is probably not going to do a lot of growing in this country. It's not done in a long time. And uh, when it comes to our competing against denominationalism, there's only one way that we can beat them, and that's by outworking them. We can't out-entertain them. We can't out-entertain them. No, we can't. We can't, we can't out-entertain the world. We, can't, we cannot uh, do that and please God. And so the only way we can do it is get to work and talk to as many people as you can and make sure the gospel, the true gospel, gets out there so people have the opportunity. And we have giants. That's what it's about. And we've got to have giant killers. Uh, I told you earlier, and as long as Ricky's here preaching, you won't have any trouble with false teachers. You won't have any trouble with things going on like has been going on in the church around. And it only takes one person to come in and destroy the whole flock.
That's the way it is. So don't let that happen. This evening, as uh, we... Now, I could have done better probably. Ricky hadn't got me all mixed up in them directions. But, but honestly, this, this, this evening, if, uh, if you are in need of responding to the Lord's invitation, just remember this. There's nothing shameful about asking for prayers. That's a good thing. My youngest brother, uh, he was an alcoholic. He uh, did drugs. And he was, I baptized him. And he struggled even after that. He tried so hard. And he'd have to come. He, I don't know how many times he'd come before the church and want prayers. He, 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 his heart was in the right place. But he had so much trouble with that addiction. And uh, that was a giant for him to try to overcome that. And there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I've sinned. I need somebody to pray for me. I need to, I'm asking God to pray for me. That's a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that I've been wrong. That's, I, I preached a sermon recently, and it was on repentance. And, and, and I said, you know, repentance is one of the hardest to obey commands. Because it is always an admission of guilt to the one who's repenting. It's always an admission of guilt. And so, but really, that's a good thing to be able to do that. We've got a loving God, and he's always there for us, just like he was there for David. And we're willing to forgive, willing to, to help us in times of need. If you're not a member of the church tonight, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you're willing to do what it takes to repent of your sins, change your mind, and then confess Christ before men that He is God's Son, and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be a new person, just like the man we talked about who had beaten his wife and did all those things. He said, I'm, the, I'm a new person now. That's the way it is. I think sometimes we fail to see that. But it doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter. Now listen to this. Larry didn't want to hear this, but Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know what he did. He was a homosexual. He killed people. He ate them. He ate some of the parts of the body. He went to prison in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This lady who's a member of the church who lived in Georgia corresponded with him and sent him correspondence courses. He studied the Bible in there. And uh, this, I guess, I don't know if she contacted this uh, preacher from the church in in, uh, Wisconsin or not there. He went in there and did some further study and baptized him. Jeffrey Dahmer was baptized in Christ before he died. I think he was killed in his cell or something like that. Whether he truly repented or not, I don't know. God knows. And whatever he did before, if he, if he truly w- w- was baptized in the Christ for forgiveness of his sin, then he was a new person. So, when we get to heaven, there's going to be people there who did some terrible things, like murdering, adultery. Some in the Corinthian church had been homosexuals. Paul said, some of you had been. Anyway, if you need to respond to the invitation, do so as we stand and sing.